Oh, good morning. It's good to be together. And that is so true, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. Have you ever noticed that you don't really think about how something works until it doesn't? Like, there's all these things in our lives that are, like, magical. Like, I use my computer, like, all day, every day, and I think I know how it works, right? Like, look at me. Flip this thing open. Hit this button and start to type. But if something goes wrong, I am completely lost, right? I use my car, and this is probably the best example. I use my car every day. I'd be totally lost without it, literally stuck, and I know how to operate my car. Like, there's this round button I push. Put the little shifter thing next to the D, and then I hit the long pedal with my foot, and it goes, right? It's like I have no idea beyond that what is going on. As far as I know, under the hood, it's just like a little magician with sprinkling fairy dust around in there because I'm completely lost. I'm old enough to remember shade tree mechanics. Remember these guys, right? Like where every dad could fix a car because the cars were like back then were like tricycles compared to the space shuttles that we're driving now right I mean when was the last time that you fixed your own car this never happens anymore my kids have never they're grown they're young adults now they have never seen me look under the hood of a car (laughs) not once ever right I struggle when I take it in to have someone else change the oil to get the thing I can't find the I'm popping that gas tank and the lights are coming on and then finally someone just walks around and pulls that handle that pops the whatever that thing is the hood it's so bad cars are now so complicated every time I get a new car which is like every 10 years it's a brand new series of lights up front like the car makers are developing all these new lights right like these dashboard warning lights So, and this is just one sample. By one count, there are now, with all car manufacturers together, there are, ready for this, 308 different warning lights that cars have at one shape, form, or another in different cars, right? There's another name, however, for these lights. Do you know what it is? Yeah, idiot lights. That's what they're called. Uh, hang on, I'm getting a warning light. Oh, it's the handbrake. And there's another one, and it looks like a sailboat. I think that's a coolant thing. Uh, okay, wait, now there's a picture of a pineapple on, in a toilet. Oh, uh, just wait, I'll check the manual. Alright, now there's a ear smoking a cigarette, and what looks like the Tinder logo. I don't know if this car is actually safe to looks, drive. Uh, so now it's a giraffe, and it's riding a T-Rex. Look, we're already really late, so I'm just gonna go. it's true you know it is true I am not alone right see here's the thing look if cars are too difficult for us to understand what does that mean for us trying to understand ourselves I mean come on let's get real there's a there's a famous theoretical physicist his name is Michu Kaku all right it's his real name and here's what he says the human brain has 100 billion neurons. Each one of those neurons is connected to 10,000 other neurons. And here's his conclusion. Sitting on your shoulders is the most complicated object in the known universe. Now, look, men, to our great credit, all right, we figured out long ago just how complicated the female brain is, right? Especially when you compare it to ours, right? So, (laughs) you know, it's true. It is true. But our physical brain, when you think about what it is that makes up the human condition and human nature, our physical brain isn't even the most complicated part of us. We're made up of minds or brains. We also have hearts, that have all kinds of desires and ambitions and emotions and affinities and fears, not to mention our souls, which hold all the parts and pieces, spiritual and physical, that hold all that together. And you, and you really look at our souls and you look at our hearts, that makes our physical, material brain look like the tricycle. Which is why last month we talked about resolving to respond to God's grace 
and how difficult that can be. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to jump off from that point by considering just three of these complicated aspects of of our human nature and how living in and living out the grace of God might change the way we understand how we work and how life works. And I want to begin this morning with one aspect of the human nature, of the human condition that is particularly difficult for me. And it's this question that I have really about myself, which is, what am I supposed to do with ambition? It's a very real part of my life, right? I have this ambition, what am I supposed to do with it? Ambition, truth be told, has a very mixed reputation. Like, if you're surrounded by prideful, power-hungry people, like bent on making a name for themselves at anyone else's expense, ambition looks pretty ugly, like almost the worst of all vices. And I I think this is why the Bible can say things like this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. On the other hand, if you're surrounded by like passive, go-with-the-flow folks who leave these unbelievable gifts that they have, just unused, just sitting there on the table, and they're missing out on this like, this incredible God-given ability that they could be engaging to, to love and to share, to give and to make a difference in the world, if you're surrounded by that, then ambition looks like this great virtue. Well, the Bible makes it really clear from the very beginning, in the opening pages of the Bible, that we, all of us, human beings, are the point and the pinnacle of all of creation. You can look in the mirror every morning and honestly and truly say this, and it's biblically true, it doesn't get any better than this, okay? Human beings, are, we are made in the image of God. And he calls us, God calls us, right after we're created, very good. And from the beginning, it's God himself who plants within us, within our hearts, in our souls, ambition ambition you think of it this way our physical bodies have opposable thumbs and and what are those for they're to help us to reach for to hang on to to grasp to contain to hold things we don't have yet we are by nature we are built on platforms physical platforms that make us aspirational beings and i want to argue this morning that our hearts and our souls have thumbs too and we are invited actually called i mean literally commanded by god to live with gracious ambition gracious ambition one author describes it like this We need ambition in our car on this journey of life, but never in the driver's seat. Now, I love this, okay, because I think selfish ambition can't be driving our life on the one hand, but on the other hand, without gracious ambition, like in the back seat, we're going nowhere. We will just sit there. So the question that I have for this morning is, how do we know when ambition is when our ambition is selfish when it's vain conceit when it is driving the car when it's driving our life how can we know and i'd like to suggest that god in his mercy knowing that we are even more complicated than computers and than cars has given given us some warning lights like on the dashboard of our soul okay now often at, at, in this part of the talk i've done some research and and i will you know bring you what the latest science or social science is saying about some of the challenges that we face in real life but this morning i'm coming at this a little bit differently because this morning i've I've put myself under the microscope and i want to share some warning signs in my life that selfish ambition is driving my life so some of these might resonate with you and some of these might not even be lights on your dashboard at all okay So for me, 
The first warning light, and by the way, I kind of picture my soul's dashboard lights as emojis, okay? So the first one is low fuel. When this light goes off in my life, okay? This is what it it looks like and what it feels like. And for me, this warning light, when, when I struggle with this deep sense that this is not sustainable, like I cannot keep running this hard, there's this haunting exhaustion like I'm pushing too hard and I, I don't even know why. I've committed to you know, six things when I have the capacity for three. Do you know that feeling? Like when you find yourself asking this question, why did I, why did I say yes to this? Knowing that when it's over, finally, you're just gonna say yes to the next thing. See, this is, this is what I'm discovering When my life is too heavy, it's only because I've picked something up that wasn't mine to carry in the first place. It's a sign of some kind of selfish ambition. When you look at your schedule and roll your eyes, it's not good. Are you drained at some soul level? Is your current pace unsustainable? I think when I get to this place, the temptation is I tell myself the story that I'm like the sacrificial hero here. When really all that's happened is selfish ambition has hijacked my life. Now, another warning sign for me that kind of spills right out of this is envy. Now, For me, it isn't material things. Like, I don't look at the lives of my neighbors and friends and family. I I don't look at their houses and cars and vacations. and, and, And I'm not envious of those things. I'm way too sophisticated for that, right? Like, that would be too obvious, right? But it's here's what I'm finding, that it's other markers of success in their life. It's this feeling that for whatever reason, when someone else is succeeding, it means somehow I'm failing, like I'm not measuring up. Now keep in mind that this, this warning light and all of these warning lights are, are warning lights precisely because these things aren't obvious in our lives. As we're just you know, cruising down the road of life, we can't always, selfish ambition does, just doesn't reveal itself magically to us. We need these warning lights. Like, when I'm struggling with envy, I don't automatically think, Mike, this is clearly selfish ambition. Right? We don't make those connections. And what I'm trying to suggest right now is that there is something about envy that is tied to selfish ambition driving our life. Because when things are going really, really great in someone else's life, with their marriage, with their career, and with their family, and I'm somehow threatened by that, that's a warning sign. When someone is like soaring and they're posting perfect pictures on InstaTwit all the time, and, and, and we're mad about it, like, why do they get to do that, right? If that's happening, ambition has climbed over the back seat and grabbed the wheel. Gracious ambition sees other people's success and is inspired. Gracious ambition sees other people soaring and is like, whoa, that's possible? I, I didn't even realize that was possible. What could I do? The achievement of others makes gracious ambition curious not envious. It expands us when gracious ambition is riding in the back seat. But when selfish ambition is driving our lives, we are threatened and diminished by the flourishing of others. It's a warning sign. It's a flashing light, right? Another warning sign in my life that goes right along with resentment is ingratitude. This one is, I'm really good at this one, right? Sometimes I get going so fast, like I miss, I don't, in fact, I don't even see, not to mention enjoy, the moments of wonder along the way. I I am so focused on the finish line, way, way out there, 
that selfish ambition is just, we are speeding past everything. Selfish ambition has a lead foot, is what I'm saying. Just flying down the road like it's Lisa Gathright, okay? <laughs> now, it's consumed with how fast can it go? How far can it get? How much can it achieve, attain, and accumulate? Now, I notice this in my life, in this little dynamic that gets going in, in my soul that I think of as got to versus get to. Got to versus get to. Look, life, I promise you this. Oh, everyone's life is hard and complicated. Everyone, okay? By far, the most beautiful and sad, the most wonderful and tragic aspect of my role in our community is being invited into so many stories. Every week, it is, it is the, one of the greatest honors and privileges of my life to sit with people and hear their stories. And let me tell you, it does not matter how carefree or rich or well-dressed or happy or totally in control anyone looks, and some people are better at looking that way than others. Some people really try hard to look that way. I don't care what people look like on the outside. Let me tell you right now, we are all in it up to our necks. Absolutely. And that's the good days. I promise you, this is the, this is the one theme that I will take from my time in this role in this community is like, wow, I'm not alone. Whoa, we are all, it, we're all in the deep end. Life with gracious ambition in the backseat can recognize all that and still be filled with gratitude. No matter how difficult and dangerous the road gets, gracious ambition finds a way to say, I get to do this. Selfish ambition is always complaining. Are you kidding me? I've got to do this. Get to versus got to. For selfish ambition, all of the goodness in life is always up ahead. It's over the next bend. It's around the next corner. It's over the horizon. It's convinced that the finish line holds the blessing. Life is something we've got to do. But meanwhile, gracious ambition sits in the back seat, ooing and eyeing at the beautiful scenery along the way. Life, ups, downs, curves, potholes, road closed, doesn't matter. With, with gracious ambition, life is get to. I love that when I see it in people. I long for it in myself. Next light that goes off for me is often resentment. Now, this is a well-worn light in my dashboard, okay? Resentment, I picture it like this weed that grows in my life out of the soil of entitlement. Yes, it's super ugly, right? Like, we are owed something. Look at all I've done for you, and you can't do this for me, right? This is how I feel sometimes when I do the dishes. Like just last month, I did the dishes this one time, okay? <laughs> it's true. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you, right? I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. It's a fact. I did the dishes. It was like January 14th or something like that, all right? And you know what? Lisa didn't notice, didn't even say anything. And suddenly, what was absolutely and positively done out of gracious ambition just tore its mask off and revealed itself as selfish ambition, right? I was, oh, I was not happy. I was so resentful. Resentment was just flashing on my dashboard. Now, this, this warning light, I think, is particularly dangerous, especially in, in married relationships, okay? Because the weed of resentment grows into this huge, sprawling, like, bush of bitterness, and it releases, in the, in the spring, it releases these seeds of contempt that just flow through the house for everybody but the two of you to see, right? <laughs> right? And all the while, we're basking in the sweet aroma because it smells exactly like self-pity, 
That's exactly what it smells like. So it's not a good idea. Resentment is always something that leaves us cold and short. And I, one, more, one more week in a row, this thing isn't working. There it is, okay. So at least this is what I've heard about resentment, okay? I don't wanna say, you know, I know firsthand, but I do. So are there people in your life that you resent? It's worth asking ourselves, what has driven me there? How'd you get there? There are, of course, many, many other, like, warning lights for selfish ambition. And I'm just going to look at one more, and that is joylessness. When you can't laugh at yourself or at the messes or your personal mess-ups, it's a really bad sign. Selfish ambition has no sense of humor or enjoyment or joy. It cares way too much about what it looks like, what others think, how it's perceived. Is it respected? And these things are no laughing matter. How people think of me and my image management. See, one of the things I admire most about the people that I get to sit with that are, who are, I can tell they're really growing in life. And it doesn't mean that the, these folks don't have any problems. It's actually usually the opposite. Because here's what I see. I know people are making progress in their life because here's what's going on. They notice their mistakes. They can admit their foibles. They, are, they, are, um, they know their shortcomings. They see their shortcomings. They can confess their character flaws. But then they can also laugh at themselves at like the sheer ridiculousness of their selfish ambition. Driving through life with all of these warning lights on, faking like everything's okay, plastic smiles on our faces, broken hearts in our chests. It's far from the abundant life that Jesus promised us. You see, as it turns out, selfish ambition is a terrible, horrible, dangerous driver, and it will wear us out in the end.
So good, so good. So I, I hope that song doesn't resonate with you, but I know it does with me. That is what like runaway, selfish ambition driving our life feels like. But listen to this. Just soak in how Jesus invites us to rearrange the seating chart in our life. It's amazing. Listen to how he invites us to move selfish ambition out of the driver's seat and into the back seat. In one of his most famous talks, this is what he said. I tell you, do not worry about your life, your everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They do not labor and they do not spin make to make their own clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative. God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Oh, I just love that so much. See, so in this, in this invitation, don't hear like hippie Jesus. Like, hey, just kick back, dude. Like, we don't have to do anything. Like the way that you defeat selfish ambition is with no ambition, right? That is not what's going on here. There's two things going on here. And the first one is Jesus is saying very clearly, your heavenly father knows. He knows that we have very real, everyday, physical and spiritual and emotional needs. Things like food and shelter, dignity and belonging, meaning and purpose. These are real. These are good. And, and it's, it is totally understandable to be focused on those things for ourselves. But what Jesus is saying is that selfish ambition can't get us there. Selfish ambition will not get us there. So his invitation is this. It's, so, it's the genius it's, it's unbelievable. His, his invitation is seek the kingdom of God first. This, what is that? That's ambition. That's ambition. Seek above all else. If that's not ambition, I don't know what is. But it's gracious, not selfish. Ambition. Look, even Jesus came to seek. He came to earth on a very, very ambitious mission. And what he's, what he's showing us here is that we awaken within us this latent image of God that is in us and on us when we join him on his gracious, ambitious mission. One psychologist um, puts it like this. When we configure our life so we are shooting for or aiming at the highest and best possible good that we can imagine, then the things that we really need to live just happen. Like you can't shoot for the things, you can't aim at the things that you really need to live. You aim at something bigger and gracious and giving and generous, and then these things just happen. Jesus is laying out a very controversial idea here. It's like you could call it his hypothesis of, amb of ambition. If we dare to undertake the most important thing that we can think of, this is how our life works out the best. Now, full stop right here, because the temptation is to think that this has to be something big and bold something spectacular and dangerous. And maybe it could be for you, for a precious few of us. It might be something big and bold, spectacular and dangerous. But my goodness, how many people hide behind big things as a way to avoid doing hard things. 
For some people, building a successful business or a huge organization or a church is easier than spending time at home, raising children, being all in as a spouse, friend, child, parent, neighbor. So let's not confuse seeking with gracious ambition with avoiding the truly hard and difficult and important things in our life, in the season of life you're in right now. In fact, Jesus has a really haunting line for those of us who are tempted to try to disguise our selfish ambition with gracious ambition, because it's easy to do. This is what he says. I can see it now. Thousands striding up to me saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. See, Jesus is saying, set your aim, your aspiration, your ambition toward the best that you can conceive of, something you see as critically important for the flourishing of others, not necessarily the biggest or the most spectacular or even the most religious, but in your time, in your place, with your people, with your gifts and your heart and your eyes, What do you see? What do you feel? What is placed before you that you can lean into? That is seeking the kingdom of God for you. My friend Mike um, sent me a passage this week from a book he's reading. The book is called The Way of the Warrior by Erwin McManus. And this is a line that just jumped off the page at me. It's possible to be famous and not be great. It's also possible to be great and not be famous. In one translation of this passage that we're looking at this morning, um, it's translated this way. Jesus explains it like this. What I am trying to do here is to get you to relax, not to, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. See, our temptation is to counter selfish ambition with no ambition. But that is not what Jesus is doing here. The antidote is gracious ambition. He is suggesting that there's there's no more effective way for us to operate in this complicated world with our complicated brains and souls and hearts than this. This is the most practical and realistic route to realizing the abundant life that Jesus promised us and then he created us to aim at and shoot for, to strive for. And we find that, we hit that target when we aspire to great good. We end tonight with a man who insists he's nothing special. Well, lots of people disagree. Steve Hartman met him on the road. There is a superhero in Pittsburgh, a mild-mannered guy in a funny-looking van who goes around town striking happiness in the hearts of hundreds. If I can go out and help people and have them experience what love is just between neighbors, like, that's sweet. Where's 270? 29-year-old John Potter is a handyman by trade but he doesn't charge for most of what he does. Do you mind starting it up? Whether it's a pizza delivery guy with no way to deliver or an electric scooter guy with no way to scoot. John is always to the rescue. Um, Actually, let's throw it in the back. Like, just like a saint, pretty much. He's willing to help anybody with whatever size problem you have. It might take me a day, honestly. John finds his rescuees on Reddit. People who have a window broken out, or can't afford the roof they need, or maybe just want help moving. John does it all for total strangers. That took a huge brain switch. He started Uh, doing this four years ago, after a woman approached him at this gas station. And she's like, hey, can I um, get a ride to the battered women's shelter, or can I have money for the bus? And your answer? 
I said, no, sorry. It was a response he regretted almost immediately. Yeah, that haunted me right from the start. John vowed from that day forward he would say yes to anyone who asked for help no matter what they needed. And so far he's done about a thousand good deeds. Has he ever been scammed? He doesn't know. And quite frankly, he doesn't care. I give because I want to give, and that's just for me. And if anything, I go to bed and I feel happy. Yeah, come on in. Happy, but not wealthy. Is the check okay? Typically, John has just a few hundred dollars to his name, and yet he continues to give, sometimes a lot more than just handyman services. Um, would you mind carrying it to the car? After the kidney surgery, I can't lift anything. That's right. John has now moved on to vital organs. It's unbelievable. Last month, Michael Moore, another total stranger, got John's kidney. This is not fixing somebody's scooter. No, it's an unbelievable act of kindness. Michael says the best gift ever, but not only for the obvious reason. Because you find out that there's other people in the world that care, and uh, that's, a, that's a strong message. A message that John says is only going to get louder. I really want to give a piece of my liver. Are you joking? No. If the grave is home plate, I want to come sliding into it at this point, you know? Bare minimum organs. I don't know, you might find me on uh, My Strange Addiction, like I'm addicted to giving organs. Addicted to helping others. There are certainly worse vices. Steve Hartman, On the Road, in Pittsburgh. All of us could use a similar addiction. Cool. Love it. See, our problem is almost never we don't have enough. It's almost always we don't give enough. Our super complicated brains, our beautifully intricate hearts, our divinely designed souls must be for more than ourselves because they are made in the image of a God who is always always giving we must have an aim a gracious ambition and what jesus is saying here is if we make the mistake the fatal flaw of allowing selfish ambition to drive us that isn't this free and open road of grace to the kingdom of god it's not the free and open road of grace of the abundant life it is a treadmill of hell we were made for more than everything the world has to offer. We weren't made to receive by getting. We were made to thrive and to grow by giving. Seeking first the good of others, that is like our natural habitat. Giving is our natural habitat. And like birds are most alive when they're flying and fish are most alive when they're swimming, we are most alive when we are giving. When we are graciously ambitious. Broken hearts, head on a swivel, looking for people that we can love and serve. I saw a news story last week that reminded me of all of this. Some rescue workers were transporting a dolphin that had been washed up on shore somewhere. And they, you know, were about to throw it into the back of a truck and take it to some rehab facility. And we've seen that scene. And in the back of this truck or in this sling that this dolphin's in, that they're pouring water over it constantly, right, to keep it alive. See, without seeking the kingdom of God, without that aim, without a gracious ambition, we're like this dolphin. We're only desperate for what we need. And so we make this horrible deal with selfish ambition. It goes something like this. If I, if I let you drive, we pour a little water on me once in a while. All the while, God has flung this ocean of gracious ambition at our feet to jump in and to swim in. And here's the great irony about life, right? Dolphins in the ocean, in their proper habitat, never think about water. The very thing they need the most. But dolphins out of their natural habitat only think about water. The road to the abundant life 
is to set our aims for the kingdom of God. The best possible thing we can imagine. What is that for you? I know when I say that, something jumps to your mind. This would be the hardest thing. This would be the best thing. It's this relationship in my life of an estranged loved one. Maybe it's tutoring a child. Maybe it's adopting one. I have no idea. Maybe it's something that everybody here would notice if you did it. Maybe it's something that no one, even your spouse, would notice. That's not the point. I don't know what gracious ambition, what aiming for the kingdom of God looks like for you. I can't aim at your target. Only you can do that. Now, we need one another for sure to sort through all this and try to establish maybe our target list, but there are no religious answers here. There is no just tell me what to do and what not to do. That is not what it looks like. This is not, that's not what Jesus is inviting us into. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection does something amazing and spectacular. It puts each and every one of us on this open road. It's, a, it's an open road. And you have your eyes, and you have your ears, and you have your heart, and I have mine, so that you can see, feel, and hear, and so that I can see and feel and hear what no one in the history of the world has ever experienced. Some need, some gap, some deficit that you can step into and fill. This gives you a unique perspective and an essential mission. And it, you, you were created to aim for something no one else has ever aspired to. That's gracious ambition. And only you can see that target, which means only you can hit it with your gracious ambition. Aiming for anything less than the kingdom of God and life no matter how cozy and comfortable it looks, will leave us anxious and unhappy at best, probably hard to get along with most of the time, growing towards resentful, possibly even vengeful, and then even worse. Ambition is God's idea. We were made to aim for the abundant life of living in and living out the grace of God living in and living out his gracious ambition. You know, there's a term from archery that the Bible uses over and over again to describe missing your target or missing the abundant life that we were all, that we're all aiming for and we should be aiming for. And in archery, to miss your target is simply called sin. That's where the word comes from. It's not this big theological religious word. It's from sports. It's, it's, it means to miss the mark. This is what selfish ambition looks like. It leaves us scattered and strewn all over the place. But gracious ambition aims in a direction that's best, both for the world around us and ourselves. Do you see it? The genius of Jesus, the invitation of Jesus is to move over, let him drive our lives with gracious ambition aimed at inviting anyone and everyone along for the ride.
The truth is, we don't really think about how life works until it doesn't. Are there warning lights blinking on your soul's dashboard? Do you know why these lights are often called what they're called? It's not because we need them. Everybody needs them. The best mechanics in the world need them. It's not describing the lights. It's describing the people who ignore them. When Jesus is driving our life, everyone is reseated. He takes the wheel, we move to the passenger seat, and a very different kind of ambition graciously moves to the back. This is aiming at the kingdom of God. It is the road to the abundant life. That doesn't mean easy. His promise isn't that this path, this road, is going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's that our life will matter. It will have meaning. And we will grow and make progress. Because when the warning lights come on, and they will, we deal with them openly and honestly on this free and open road to the kingdom of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time and this place and this opportunity to be together. We thank you that you love us and that you are inviting us into your mission to love the world right again. How I pray that this week you would help us to see the opportunities for us to step out in gracious ambition. Join you on that mission and sense the abundant life that you are offering us as we aim for the greatest possible good we can think of. As we leave here this morning, I pray that you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming, folks. We'll see you next week.